1: Welcome to the Narcissist Apocalypse Podcast, a show that gives a voice to narcissistic abuse survivors. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thank you for showing up this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Generally speaking, a narcissist is a person who has an excessive sense of how important they are. They demand and expect to be admired and praised by others and are limited in the capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. And guess what? Not all our narcissists are made equal. Yes, that's true. Narcissism is a character trait that exists on a spectrum. A small amount of narcissism is healthy, and a person with an unhealthy level of narcissism may be called a narcissist. At extreme levels, it may be diagnosed as narcissistic personality disorder. However, for the purposes of this podcast, a narcissist is a person who exhibits narcissistic traits and or a consistent pattern of maladaptive narcissistic behaviors regardless of whether they meet the diagnostic criterion in the latest version of the DSM manual or have a formal diagnosis. So a person may be referred to as a narcissist on this podcast, even if it is more likely they have another cluster B personality disorder, such as borderline histrionic or antisocial personality disorder, so as long as they exhibit narcissistic traits or behaviors. And now, with all of that out of the way, let me tell you that we have a survivor named Julie on this episode, but before we get to that interview, I want to thank everyone who listens to the show and emails me all those nice things. It really means a lot to me, as doing the show has been quite the blessing in my life, so thanks to all of you out there, and to all of you, if you haven't left us a review yet for whatever podcast service you use, whether it be Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, box, etc. etc. leave us a review, a five-star review. That would be nice and helpful to our show when it comes to rankings. Maybe re, uh, leave a written review as well. I think that even makes a bigger difference. And also, if you want to be on the show, you can always reach out at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. Just drop us a line. And if you want to read a letter to your narcissist on our show where you don't actually come on the show and talk to me, We just stitch everything together. We have a voicemail recorder on our website. To record, go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. It's on the right side of the page, and it's always floating. It's hard to miss. We're accumulating these letters to have a volume two of our letters to a narcissist episode. What else do I have going on here for you? Well, I got an email from Sonny, who was on last week's episode, And she had, like, a a report for me that she's doing great. Her grandpa sold their house and is getting a new one. However, he will always, or most likely, always be away going somewhere else. So she'll have the whole place to herself. So that distance will be nice, narcissist-free household for a while. And she's also found a program to become a certified counselor for domestic violence survivors. And she's thinking about starting that in October. So that is also good news. But... And this is a big one. This is a big butt for me. If anyone listened to this to the episode last week, you know I was a big fan of Barry. And Barry has sadly moved out. And I am heartbroken about this because I loved Barry. Because everyone needs a Barry in their life. And and I'm really, it's a big thing for me. I love Barry. So Barry. Once again, this is a big shout-out to you because I loved you so much, Barry. If you're listening, one day you are coming on this show. One day. I'm going to get you here. What else? Do I have anything else going on? Yes, I do, everyone. I do. I've been writing content for the new website all week. I debuted new podcast art this week. I don't know if you guys saw it on our Instagram, on our Facebook, on our Twitter. Uh, I liked it. Did you like it? I started fiddling also with our new directory software as we're building a fully niche narcissistic abuse directory for psychologists and psychiatrists, social workers who have a MSW licensed therapist who have gone through narcissistic abuse themselves, lawyers and mediators, anyone who has experience with relationships in childhood narcissistic abuse of those professionals that I just mentioned A second ago. So if you're professional like those ones and you're a listener to the show and you want to be one of the first people on our directory, shoot me an email at narcissistapocalypse at gmail.com and we can discuss that further. Another thing. That we're going to be doing is fundraising. Sometimes we have folks on the show who need extra help and healing and proper trauma therapy, but can't afford it. So we wanna help. And once our site is built, we'll be able to fully focus on getting that started as well. And I am pretty excited about that one. What else, everyone? I'm trying to give you like a little like glimpse into my life besides doing the show. Socially, I went out with my nieces this week. That was my big event. We were big movie fans in my family. And we went to the Toronto International Film Festival this week, as it's here this week. And because we're not just regular movie fans, everyone, we love horror and sci-fi. Yes, even my nieces do, especially my youngest niece on my brother's side. And so we went to Midnight Madness and saw a movie from Spain called The Platform. And there's no way I can do it justice with words that actually come out of my mouth. Whatever description I give you, it won't sound great. But if you like sci-fi... Go see or find the platform wherever you can and run. It was that It was that good. Uh, what else do I have here for you? I just don't have my own podcast, everyone. I'm looking at my notes while, while saying these things. I just don't have a podcast, everyone. I love listening to other podcasts. And one of the podcasts I love uh, listening to is about addiction. It's called the Dopey Podcast. And this is something else I kind of did this week. They announced a the convention for the fans of the show to meet and uh, watch an episode live. So a friend of mine and I are taking a road trip to New York in October, and I'm pretty excited about that. Melissa may come with, too. I got her a ticket. Hopefully, she does come. And we're going to be the first uh, part of the first ever DopeyCon, so I'm quite excited about that because I like having things to look forward to, you know? And now, I'm going to get out of my own way. Here's my interview with Julie, and I'll check back. When it's all over. So thank you to everyone who showed up for this episode with me. I have Julie. How are you?
0: I'm great, Chad. Thank you. How are you doing? It's sunny out here. How is it? How is it where you are?
1: Uh, It is sunny today. There is no humidity out. It's actually the perfect day, but it's also the perfect day to talk to you because we were having uh, an interesting conversation on Reddit. That's where we met. Mm -hmm. Um, And I learned a little bit about your past. Uh, and now, uh, I'm going to get out of your way and the, the floor is yours to tell us everything. Go
0: everything. Okay. All right. Well, um, I have had the unfortunate pleasure of, uh, being in romantic relationships with two, uh, narcissists. Um, uh, the first one was, uh, the first relationship after, uh, I had ended a marriage amicably Um, he was a few years younger than me at the time I was 30 and he was 21 and I do think that that has uh, a lot to do with the fact that I ignored a lot of the red flags because I remembered when I was 30 what it was like to be 21 there's a lot more rationality and a lot more um, emotional versus logical behavior and um he certainly used that against me um the First thing I would say I noticed was about three weeks in when I finally even agreed to date him because uh, he was a lot younger than me. And I had been taking some classes, as (laughs) most people do when they get divorced, they start taking classes and (laughs) bettering themselves. And I had a guitar lesson, and this particular teacher was a male. And when he found that out, he was acting very Uh, jealous about it. And I couldn't understand what the issue was. This gentleman was about 60 years old. And again, I kind of brushed it off because again, he was 21 and he hadn't really had that many relationships. So I was kind of brushing it off. Like he'll grow up out of this. And I had made mention that I was going to get ready for class and I wanted to go take a shower because I don't want to be gross because I had just uh, worked out. And his response was, oh, you know, you don't need to smell good for a guitar lesson, like it's our natural odor and all of that kind of response. And I said, yeah, well, I also don't want to be that guy that doesn't understand that they smell and don't care that they're olfactorily offending people. And this set him off so much um, that he started screaming at me when I was in the shower He threw open the bathroom door and slammed open my my shower door to the point where I thought it was going to break and said some quote of some book, something about monkeys. I don't know what he was saying because I was just staring at him thinking, I am in the most vulnerable position right now. Um, And he's screaming at me with his finger in my face, clearly having been sitting out in the living room just stewing over what I said, and I could not figure out for the life of me what had set him off. Um, Let's jump to years later. This was a seven-year relationship that ended up becoming, and years later I figured out that um, his own hygiene habits were very, very poor because he had grown up um, in quite a hefty level of poverty, and food was a priority, not um, personal hygiene. Toothbrushes, toothpaste, deodorant, those were not things of necessity in his home. And when you go through high school, not really having that uh, habit instilled in you, you're going to smell. It just is. When you're a teenager, especially a teenage boy, no offense, you're going to stink. And people are going to tease you about it. And he was teased very heavily. And it took me a long time to understand why his hygiene was still not that consistent, And it's because he never had it instilled in him. It's no different really than, you know, if you're not taught good eating habits or exercise, same thing. So that was the first time I ever noticed it. And I remember thinking, okay, so I just ended a marriage with a good guy. And this guy that I barely know has just scared the life out of me. So this is the last time I'm going to see him. And I got out of the shower and I said, okay, so I'm going to go to my class now. And he goes, I'll walk with you. And I'm like, what I know I don't want you to go with me. He goes, it's okay. I'll just walk with you. Don't worry about it. And he kind of just wheeled his way back into like a conversation. He'd he like he'd calm down and I'm like, all right, maybe that was just, um, an act of immaturity. Again, I just brushed it off. Like he's young. He's going to learn. La, la, la. Um, We only really ever had a big issue once a year. He used to do this really bad thing of bottling things up and then exploding, which um, I was very open about not being okay with because uh, I tend to be very visual with my descriptions of how I'm feeling. And so I told him, I said, every time you do this, where you blow up and yell at me about things that I had no idea were bothering you, it's like you put a brick down in front of us. And every time you do it, you put another brick and another brick. And eventually, you know, that becomes a second level, a third level, a fourth level. And eventually that wall is going to be so high between us that I can't see you anymore. And it's going to switch off any sort of care or empathy that I have for you. Because number one, I can't fix something that you don't tell me that's bothering you. And that's your fault if you aren't um, willing to tell me until you explode. And I will not take that on. It's not my problem. And of course, he didn't care for that much, but he would pout, and then a year later, he would explode. Now, I should tell you that about four years in, we had moved from um, the city where we met to a city across the country, and about nine months after we moved, he had a very close family member, um, a cousin of his, Um, him and his girlfriend discovered that they were pregnant. And... uh, he, they were like brothers, so this is basically his, his. what we found out later was to be a niece, to be born. Uh, we were not making a lot of money in this new city, and um, just seeing each other over Facebook was basically the uh, only way we were going to see this kid. And it was never brought up like, let's try to save up money so we can go back home and visit. Um, can we start putting pennies? Nothing. It was never mentioned. And the reason I bring this up is because it was not brought up again until years later at the seven-year mark near the end. We never had any real problems except for this explosive behavior in which he would name call and he would um, blame me for everything, even though um, we're going to get into the financial abuse situation of it, which I didn't realize was abuse at the time. Um, he would blame me for ha- for having financial problems, even though he had put me in debt. So. What happened was um, he didn't have a proper job when we first met. He was kind of doing the couch floaty thing again. He's 21, not really trying a lot, but he liked to write, and he was trying to write sketch comedy and a lot of scripts. And His argument with me was – I shouldn't say argument. His placard to me was because he was basically staying on my couch, and it kind of – we just ended up moving in together. It just seemed like the thing – that was happening and I just kind of let it happen because we were getting along great and I never felt comfortable with it because I had just ended a marriage a year before, but well, you know, I needed to move somewhere and he's already here and he makes me laugh and blah, blah, blah. So we're now living together.
1: I have one question. I have a question. Yeah. So uh, you have seven years and are you being nitpicked or anything? Are you being put down during that time or do you only get exploded on, uh, at like that one time of year and throughout the year, it's more of, uh, a financial abuse kind of situation going on where you're going to be asking him to do things and then he never does those things. Um, and just further like guys putting you into debt.
0: Yes. I would say that the financial abuse was a throughout thing. Absolutely. From day one. Which also, of course, like a spider web, trickled out into being other types of abuse, which was the emotional abuse. The financial abuse started off with, um, we discussed his half of the rent, how much we could spend for groceries, the whole budget thing. I'd been married. I knew what it was like to have a mortgage and have bill payments. And he's like, yeah, no, I can totally do that. Yeah, that's cheap for me. Yeah, I can do that. And then, of course, whenever groceries rolled around, I don't have the money for it. Can you cover this one? Um, I don't have this month's rent or my half of the rent. Can you cover this one? Now, I I would like to make it uh, known that um, right before I finished uh, my marriage, I had just paid off 11 years of student loans. I had gone down to zero debt, zero. And immediately he's like, hey, well, you have a credit card and it's empty. Can you just put this on your credit card? So I want you to understand it was $450 of rent. It's nothing. Even if you only have a crappy part- time job, you could have made that easily, but he he kept saying to me, "You don't remember what it's like to be a struggling artist, and how much time is required, and you need to be free um, if you get called in for something i need to I need to be free if I need to write something, I can't be doing another job and be restricted by this. I need to be able to write it
1: so so he was, My he, argument was, he was using a lot of guilt against you during yeah. this time to it was very manipulative. Uh, behavior to get you to continue to pay for everything.
0: Exactly. He was, he was slightly using my age against me saying like, you don't remember what it's like. And I'm like, I'm only nine years older than you, not 27. Like calm down here. Um, But it worked. I mean, I absolutely, I remembered what it's like trying to struggle as an actor and not being able to go to auditions because you're at a restaurant or you're in a store or whatever. And, uh, he did every once in a while get a job. It's just that it would be a temporary job and okay. Yeah. He would, um, make a a good few thousand dollars in a short amount of time, but then he wouldn't work for six months. So making a few thousand dollars actually doesn't put a dent in anything. When you consider interest, um, on a credit card, because I didn't have the means to pay the full rent and all of the bills for two people. Uh, that's why we agreed (laughs) to split it. So, um, so that was a throughout thing and those yearly explosions, he would say, you know, it's my fault that we are uh we're in debt because I was holding him back from because I kept forcing him to get work. But he would only work maybe three months a year. And they'd say, like, I missed an opportunity in that three months because you forced me to get a job. So it was that kind of a cycle, which was the emotional abuse part of it, because he tried to make me feel guilty for being a grown up. And uh that, that was pretty much it. Like, I, because he was young, his manipulations were not very skilled or detailed. I found that his arrogance was a heavily narcissistic. And none of these things did I know at the time. I didn't find out about narcissism or gaslighting until after the, the relationship ended because his behavior in the end was so bizarre that uh, I had to look it up and finally figured it out. He would say things like, well, I don't need to pay my student loan debts back because the schooling was crap and I don't respect them. So they don't deserve my money. And I'm saying that it doesn't matter whether you have a bad opinion of the school. You still took the schooling. You took their money. You have to pay it back. It will ruin your credit. And he's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Credit doesn't mean anything. Um, Like, I'll just live in a forest somewhere. (laughs) Like, Like, you're being so unrealistic and ridiculous right now just because you're being childish about not wanting to pay back student loans. Like, this is, this is nonsense, which, of course, did not go over well. But he wouldn't yell at me about that until a year later. He wouldn't just say, I didn't appreciate how you spoke to me or whatever. He would just freak out a year later and call me a bitch or whatever. Now, skipping ahead to the end of the relationship, because this was just little bits, little bits, little bits, little bits. Four months near the end, we were working on a project together because we both work in in film. And we were working on a project at the same time. And he kept talking about this girl at work. Um, She was just a little younger than him. I don't care about that. I have no insecurity about, oh, because she's cute or whatever. I don't care. You can look at other girls. It doesn't bother me. But I noticed that he was talking about her a little too much. And I brought it up and he goes, oh, no, no, no. First of all. She is not very smart. She's very sweet, but she's not very smart and it would bother me too much. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever your standards are. But in those four months since we both met this girl, his treatment of me went downhill like a a drop off plummet in the ocean. All of a sudden I was in the Marianas trench and he was just treating me like garbage. And I don't, react well to that. I don't just stand there and take it. And so we would get into these screaming arguments and I'm like, I don't talk to someone I love this way. Why are you talking to me this way? And he started saying things that were so completely bizarre, like your job, you would never have had your job if it wasn't for me, which is 100% untrue. I got my own jobs. Um, I had to keep my own work. All he did was suggest the job title and I had to do everything else. And He started going on about uh, other guys finding me attractive. Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, this was an issue. And I'm like, I can't stop it if other men find me attractive. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not doing anything about it. I don't encourage it. So where is this coming from? And this was a repeated thing. All of a sudden, we were fighting almost every second day. And then near the end, um, it's a very long story what happened on that day, but he was upset because he knew he'd gotten a parking ticket on his work vehicle and because he hadn't renewed the permit on the car. And so I'm like, let's go out to the car. Let's check it out. And we hooked up the dog. We had a dog at the time. And we went onto the apartment hallway. And those of you who have dogs know that when dogs get a leash on, they get really excited. They're like sniffing around and they're looking around. They're not maybe paying attention as well. And if, she realized he had forgotten something inside the, uh, inside the apartment. So instead of giving me the leash or dropping the leash because the dog was not paying attention, um, he took two hands on the leash like you were the lawnmower and just yanked her as hard as he possibly could like you were starting, like a pull-start mower. And she left her sheet and she smashed her head on the side of the door frame. And that sound and the the sound that came out of her was like a light switch went off in me. And I was just like, I'm done with this guy. And I looked into the apartment and the look on his face, and he loved this dog desperately. And the look on his face wasn't, oh my God, I went too far. I have to like come out of it. Nothing. He was looking at me like, you're over there and I'm over here and I've got her. Now imagine what I'm going to do to her in the moments that it's going to take you to get over here. And that was it. I was 100% done. And in the two months that it took me to leave, because um, in the city we were living, you need 60 days notice, I found a counselor, and he had started texting me things that were so completely bizarre. And this was the moment when I realized that there's something going wrong. Is... He was texting me saying, it's your fault that I've never met my niece. Uh, It's your fault you wouldn't allow me to meet my niece. Now, remember, this niece was conceived almost a year after we had moved, and he'd never brought up, can we start saving up money so I can meet her? I can't wait to meet her. I hope we can go back. Never, not once has it brought up, at least not to me. And he started blaming me, saying that it's my fault he's never met her. And we'd now been living there for four years. And I said, when have you ever brought this up? And he's like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know what you did. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't. And so this kind of gaslighting, which I didn't know what it was, I was bringing this up to the the counselor. And I'm like, I don't understand. He's saying I'm doing all of these things. He said that I, I cheated on him with this guy in my gym. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I've never done any of these things. So I talked about it with my counselor and he's like, Oh, he's gaslighting you. He's completely lying to you about your own memories and trying to convince you of them. And I'm like, what the hell is gaslighting? And he explained what narcissism was. And I said, I 100% understand the exhaustion, the confusion about my belief of what I have and have not done and um, the lies and all of these things that were finally falling into place. And, no, Ash. Please don't do. It. Sorry, very talkative cat. Um, and so it was finally coming into place. And I did a lot of research and understanding what it, he was uh, projecting. You know, saying like people being attracted to me is my fault, and I was bringing it on because, as I found out, of course, him and that girl had been spending a lot of spare time together. A lot of those days when he said he was spending late at work, he was spending late at work with her. Now. Being cheated on is not fun, but if you meet somebody, just say, look, this is not easy, but I've met someone, and I think I want to pursue it. I need to end this relationship. That's, don't try to destroy me in order to make yourself feel better about being dumped, and that's what he was absolutely doing, this whole triangulation thing. So anyway, I know it doesn't sound like a lot happened, but it was seven years of being worn down, worn down, worn down, worn down, worn down, so I started seeing a violent streak in him in those two months when I was trying to leave because he didn't actually believe I was going to leave. And he knew he couldn't support himself without me. And so he started becoming um, physically aggressive, not hitting me, but in the sense of like he would stop me from leaving the apartment and then threatened to leave. And I'm like, I want you to leave. I don't want you here. Just leave. He's like, well, if I leave, where are you going to go? And it's like none of your business. We're broken up now. Go away. And it got so threatening that I ended up having to make an escape. I had to find out a day in advance when he was going to be leaving. And I I started secretly packing up the necessities. And on the day that I knew he was going to be leaving, I booked a moving van and a pickup time for a rental van. I waited two hours after he left. And in those four hours of time, I got a moving van in there. I moved out only my essentials, picked up the rental van, Packed up the dog and the cat, and I left. Uh, so I had two hours before he'd be home um, to make an escape, turn my phone off, and took off. And I guess I should probably mention that he had now put me into $35,000 in debt. Oh, From my. zero. That's crazy. Yeah. From zero zero debt. He put me in $35,000 in debt because by the time I was at 19000 Um, we were moving across the country and I had, uh, and of course he's like, well, can't you just put this cost on your credit card? You still have room. Can't you just put this cost on your credit card? And at that point now we've been together four years and this has become such a pattern that I was just agreeable to it because I'm like, well, it's already 19,000. What's another thousand, you know, for, for tickets and for moving then and the deposit on the apartment and all that kind of stuff.
1: At any point, have you reached out to your friend circle or family members to tell them something weird is going on or anything along those lines?
0: Um, No, because I 100% thought that he was right, that I had absolutely just forgotten what a struggle it is at the age of 21. I guess at that point, he'd now be 24, 25. How difficult it was to get your feet on the ground, but then... I swear to you, it's like I'd forgotten that by the time I was 24, I was in a relationship with my husband, my then ex-husband. I was married by 26. I had a good job. I was living in a home. I was sharing a mortgage. Like, but after years of being worn down and being told, like, you've forgotten how hard it is, you just, time just marches on without you, you know, and you just lose years. And years just go by because it just becomes your normal. Mm -hmm. And next thing I know, seven years have gone by, and I'm now 38, 37, 38. Um, So, yeah, I escaped, and I turned my phone off, and I wanted to wait until I crossed uh, the provincial line uh, because I'm in Canada before I turned it on again because I knew if I was anywhere within eight hours of uh, the city, he was going to be able to talk me to coming in back to coming back. And I knew that if I did, I was never going to be able to fix my situation because he had been treating me so badly. It was, it was just like a turn of face. Like it became a monster. Um, and it took me three and a half years to get over what he was showing me because it, it, he was, it was such a switch of personality. I was like, I don't have any sort of a judge of character. I can't possibly know anything about anybody because who I saw is not who he really was. And it threw me for such a loop. I was completely just hollowed out inside. And I, I describe it as for those three and a half years, I, I I couldn't go to therapy because I wasn't ready. I had been doing therapy since I was a kid because my Childhood was really nonsense. But um, it was like every aspect of me was put into a puzzle box, like a jigsaw puzzle. And every once in a while I'd watch a movie and I'd laugh at something. And it felt good to laugh. And I'm like, oh, right, laughing. And so it was kind of like I shook up this jigsaw puzzle box and I opened it and I pulled out the sense of humor piece. And I'd look at it and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember feeling light and happy and laughing whenever I wanted to and just looking at all these other pieces of me that had to be put back together and just being like, nope, not ready to deal with this yet. Just put the cover back on and
1: put it under my bed. Uh, can I just interrupt, I for, was, can I interrupt for one second? Um, of course. So when you, in the three and a half years, you said that you, you weren't ready for therapy. Um, can we just, I guess, discuss uh, what that means, because I kind of went through a similar thing where I just wanted to be in this state i wasn 't ready to move to like an mm-hmm. other physical state um, you know i i didn 't want to move forward in a way I knew I kind of had to sit in whatever I was sitting in. And to feel what I needed to feel, no matter how mm-hmm. long that, that took. Because I think a lot of people mm-hmm. that might be listening think that they have to get better right away. And, yes. and uh, you were in this state for three and a half years. So can you maybe walk us through, uh, I guess, your, your frame of mind during that time, possibly?
0: I definitely felt um, embarrassment. Embarrassment was the number one feeling overall. Um, not so much shame. And I I look at embarrassment and shame as different things. Shame is something that people put on you. Whereas embarrassment is, I know I did something stupid and I'm embarrassed about it. Um, I felt very, very embarrassed about the fact that I had ended a marriage to a very nice man, but we were not compatible in many ways, and yet, and because I'd seen what a somewhat healthy relationship looked like, I fell for this idiot, and I was embarrassed that it turns out my judgment isn't that good, and maybe I left a a marriage that was to a really good man, which is a fact, Um, because what if I'm addicted to drama? I'm embarrassed. Like, what if I am as broken as everyone has told me my whole life? It was embarrassment about this judgment that I made of a terrible choice. Um, not shame. Nobody was shaming me. It was embarrassment. And I wasn't ready to get help for it because I needed to come to terms with the fact that I was embarrassed and ready to deal with my choice and just being like, yes, this is something I did. I am embarrassed about it, but I'm ready to fix it. Whereas I was just, the the embarrassment was so overwhelming. Um, No one ever said anything to my face. I'm sure they were talking behind my back because I've heard since then in these last few years that everyone's like, oh yeah, no, we were all wondering what the hell you were doing because that guy was such a loser. Like, why didn't anyone tell me? You know, that old, old thing of, no, it's none of your business to stick your nose in. People get mad. Yeah, but at least you made a, an effort. And that's how I am now. Um, because I know I didn't appreciate so responsibility other than mine. But if a few people had said, like, no, we don't like what we're seeing here, maybe it would have opened my eyes a lot earlier and I wouldn't have lost years to the guy. Maybe it wouldn't have. But it could have said something. Um, and now I do with other people. And I risk relationships all the time. And I'd rather risk that than risk them and their lives. So
1: so when um, during that three and a half years, were you in like a deep depression at all? Or was it just uh, anger, sadness, resentment? Uh, and what kind of motivated you eventually to uh, get out of it?
0: I would say... uh, I guess you could call it a depression. I was focusing on myself in the sense that I had started long distance running near the end of the relationship. And um, funny enough, that was actually part of the reason that he started to dislike me. Because it was an activity that he 100% could not take credit for. This is something I didn't figure out until later. But he he always tried to take credit for my 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 accomplishments and running and the physical physical activities and that was one of the arguments he had he's like you know you wouldn't you wouldn't even be a runner if it wasn't for me and i'm like what the hell are you talking about he goes well i bought you those protein bars or you know um i uh i i bought you that headband or whatever and i'm like you didn't can i curse
1: <laughs> yeah go for it
0: <laughs> okay, edit point. So, um, and yeah, so he would try to get me to give him credit for buying me protein bars or accessories or whatever, and I'm like, motherfucker, you didn't make me put those shoes on at 3 in the morning. You didn't make me eat right the night before. You didn't make me get my rest. You didn't make me do any of that. I put those shoes on. I did the running. I didn't go out and pretend I ran and then come home. I slogged hours and many kilometers to get to my long-distance status, to do those 5K, to 10K, the half, the marathon. None of that was you. And it, that was a turn on him that I had not seen before. He was trying to take credit for my life because I was starting to advance in my career, and I was advancing in my own personal status because I was now out running and I was becoming more physical again, which is something I lost with him because he would get so weird about me working out, um, because I love working out. I love being physical and I love having a strong body, not about, it's not about being skinny, it's about being strong. And he always kind of shamed me about that. Like the same with the guitar where he was weird about me spending alone time with a dude, even though the guy was 40 years older than me. Um, I guess he was really worried that I would realize that he was garbage And I wasn't, which is, that's a part of the abusive relationship is they insult you so that you try to figure out what's wrong with you instead of focusing on the garbage human beings they are. They want to bring you down to where they are so you don't notice that you're so much higher status than them, that you're a kinder person, that you're a more honorable person, you're more loyal, you're more... um, emotionally intelligent like there's all of a lot of these things that the, the reason that they take you down is because they want to make sure that you think you're on the same low level that they are and that's something I learned in those three and a half years because I did a lot of reading I, anyway back to that so I would say I would say it's a depression in the sense of um I was battering myself with my running because I used running as um a tool to help me find myself it was a promise to myself to do what I promised. Um, I was going to make this race, and I was going to train for it properly. I wasn't going to do that thing where I'd say, oh, tomorrow, oh, tomorrow. No, I stuck to a schedule, and I made a promise to myself. I can always keep promises to other people, but why not myself? So I did. Can, and I, tell, that can I tell you was, something? hmm
1: I also started to run. Uh, For that
0: purpose, right?
1: I just wanted to be a stronger, healthier person. Yeah. And my goal also was to run in a 10-kilometer, I'm Canadian, a (laughs) 10-kilometer race. uh, And I wanted to become strong and do it. And that became a big focus for me that got me out of my funk, at least at the beginning.
0: Yes. So you totally get that yeah and it was a because what are you doing out there i listen to music when i run and um
1: what did you listen listen, what
0: what, what did you what did you listen to oh i listen to any kind of music that makes me feel something and i i don't mean feel like dancing i mean feel something if i feel hopeful if i feel focused if i feel strong those songs and it could be any genre i listen to static x and I listen to Re- reggae, who it's just as happy pop felt like. It's anywhere. As long as it makes me feel something, um, really, really heavy metal stuff, it doesn't make me feel angry. It doesn't make me feel like, Wah! you know, or just like out. It it pinpoints my focus. It it sucks me in into a pinpoint focus. Um, so, yeah, it's any kind, of, any kind of music, as long as I feel something positive, like, to to keep going forward, to believe in myself, that kind of thing. And because you're out there for hours alone, it's just you, your feet, and your stupid brain. You're just thinking about stuff. And you're just thinking about scenarios and discussions with yourself and going over past stuff. And so there was many a time when I would just stop moving and just start crying because I was thinking about something that happened where I'm like, it's just going through these milestones, just like it is in therapy, where you just kind of all of a sudden have a revelation and you start crying and just let it go. And since you're also a long distance runner, you understand that happens a lot to people because it's, it's not just maybe the, it's also the feeling of, you know, your brain is trying to tell you negative things and you just don't want to listen anymore. And you're just like, just stop saying this to yourself, just stop, stop. Um,
1: For me, for for me, it was, if I get a strong body, my mind will become strong as well. And if I am a strong mind and body, I can overcome anything that is going on right now. And, And, and that, that's kind of, for me, what was my focus. And it was like a, it wasn't just a focus. It became an It became an obsession. I was going to beat this out of me by Mm -hmm. making myself as strong as possible.
0: Yes. And, and for me, it's because, uh, mine is similar in the sense of because when you have a strong body and you have accomplished this goal of this run or whatever it is, your goal is, but you have proof, look at my body. This doesn't come from sitting on the couch being depressed. This comes from getting your ass out on the road. This comes from going to the gym. This comes from choosing the right food. This is work. And this is my proof. And I can look at it in the mirror. I can look down. I can see it. I can look at that metal. I did this because I did not let this shit take me down. Mm-hmm. You might still be depressed during it, but I did this. And so you have a physical representation of your brain. Shut up. Look, I did all this. So if I can do this. I can beat you. So that was a big part of it was uh, believing in myself and, and taking his lessons and just twisting them and saying, like, no, I am not the loser you're saying I am. I'm actually pretty amazing because I'm doing these things. You're mad at me because I'm doing these things, but I'm great. So in those three and a half years, I did a lot of races. I did the uh, the Dopey Challenge in the world, Disney World was my biggest challenge um, where you do all four races, like over the four-day weekend the five to 10 and a half of the marathon. And that was a huge accomplishment for me. And I went alone, nobody there I knew. And at the end, when I got all of my medals at the end of the full race, like I just started sobbing and all of the runners around me that saw me just came over and they're like, we get it. Like you just accomplished something huge and you did it. And no one can take that away from you. Nobody, not they, nobody knew me. They, nobody knew what I was going through. But everyone kind of knows, they're like, you know, whoever it is in your head that's trying to take this away from you, you don't get to do that anymore. Look what you just did. And that was a big turning point. So that was January of 2016. And I had moved back in the summer of 2014. So that was now about two and a half years. So in that last year, I was like, okay, like enough of this. You have fixed yourself with running as best as you can but now you need help. And so I found a therapist and, you know, we started working on the talk therapy and, and it was great. And I started dating again. And that's where I, unfortunately about a year later, I met the second narc. Um, And I have a lot of people that I see online or very rarely somebody will say to me like, but you've already gone through this. Like, how could you have fallen for it again? And my view is this: Yeah, he got under my radar, but the fact is, is I recognized it a lot sooner. And also, he is um, And also, he is uh, a master manipulator. Um, we were forty; we were both forty at the time, and he had, you know, had decades to master his craft and he is he's a master of it he loved triangulation which is the amazing thing of keeping your partner off balance by always having the affections of another woman or other women specific or not it really doesn't matter um to keep you off balance to think that maybe something's going on or to make sure you don't ever feel secure in a relationship. You're always fighting for his attention. He loved that, loved it. Even if there wasn't someone actively in the picture, it was always talking about um, a sexual experience he had with a past partner or relationships with exes. And I repeatedly told him, I'm like, I don't need to hear about this. Um, Number one, none of my business, but number two, uh, I'm uncomfortable with you talking to me about this. I'm not your buddy. I'm your girlfriend. Not Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that gets excited or interested in hearing about this stuff. It makes me feel uncomfortable, and that was a huge mistake because he used that against me big time. Um, his answer when I ever I brought up anything um, in relation to his triangulation activities, because he loved talking to other women online and pretending that he wasn't in a relationship. And his answer to it was, "My relationship status has nothing to do with the conversations I'm having with these women." even though they were clearly showing signs of being interested. Um, Obviously, I disagree with that statement. And his answer was always, your insecurities are your issue. Um, I can behave any way I want because it's my life. And if you don't like it, you don't have to be with me. But your insecurities are yours. And I'm just trying to push your boundaries so that you feel more comfortable Now, of course, that is some total bullshit because the responsibility in a relationship isn't to make me happy, but it is to make me feel secure. And he did everything in his power to make sure I never felt secure in our relationship, and I was always chasing him. Which, of course, plays into any insecurities that one has. Um, Mine was not physical. Um, I don't care if another woman is more attractive than me. Her having better bone structure is not my issue. It's... um, Being made to feel the fool for having trusted someone. When I give my trust to someone, it's a big deal. And then when that guy uses it against me um, to be like, well, she trusts me so um, I can do whatever I want because she'll never believe anything bad about me. And that's okay. If if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I don't have to sneak around because she trusts me and she's AKA so stupid that she'll believe anything I say which is how I put it. If you abuse my trust, it means you think I'm stupid. Um, That's a big trigger for me. Big, big trigger is to abuse my trust and betray me. And he used to do it all the time, but he did it in little increments, which is triangulation and the gaslighting. And um, he progressed from... One of the first things I ever noticed about him with the triangulation was uh, he used to keep his tablet um, in his car as his uh, map. And he had his Facebook up on there. uh, Like, his messenger would pop up, and so any messages that came up, the whole screen would light up with the entire messenger, Um, which seems like a really bad idea because if you're in the middle of a GPS map, like, how's that helpful? Anyway, this message came up while we were on a road trip to see his mother, who was ill, two provinces away. And the messages that popped up between him and this girl were things like, I just left. I just found a really cool parking spot. I just woke up to the most beautiful view. I just crossed the border of this province. I, 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 I. And her responses were things like, oh, I've always wanted to see that place, or, "Sigh, I wish I was with you. And his response was, maybe next time you can see it, right? No mention that I was there. No word of we. And I don't care what anybody says. That is hiding me. That is hiding the relationship fully. And his response was, again, but my relationship status has nothing to do with this conversation. And I said, but her saying, oh, sigh, I wish I was with you. Is her very clearly saying something more, um, more intimate than just friendship? I'm sorry. Yes, it, it, just, yes it, it is. Just, yes. Yeah. Okay, good. I, I'm not See, even now I'm doubting myself.
1: <laughs> I'm doubting
0: myself in that. I'm like, I'm sorry, But I know I'm not wrong, and um, that's really clear, clearly giving indications that she wants it to be something more. And he responds, maybe next time, which is clearly an indication of. Maybe something can happen,
1: and you're, you're, I took great not, offense you're, for that. You're not crazy.
0: Yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> and I, so, yeah, he took great offense for that, and he's like, "This is your insecurity showing." And there's a per- he's he's a masterful gaslighter because he did take that one percent of truth. Yes, this is my insecurity showing, but you're the one causing it intentionally and then trying to make me feel bad for it, even though you're the one causing it. I have the proof right in front of me. It's right there. So that was the first time that I ever, I ever realized the triangulation was going on. Um, I, of course at the time, um, I'd never had someone so blatantly, uh, behave this way. So I'd never seen this before. So I was a little taken aback. Um, it wasn't the first time, or excuse me, it was the first time, but it, I'm sure it wasn't in life. It was just the first time I'd ever seen it. He uh, behaved that way many times since. And, of course, it was always, I'm just pushing your boundaries. You just, you're just you not comfortable with you know, me being open with people, and I'm like, not cool. And so eventually he tried to push me into having an open relationship because he's like, well, maybe I'm just not made to be with just one person. And I'm like, well, I am. And if that's what you need, then we need to have a discussion because um, TMI here, but I'm trying to be honest, is I've always been okay with the idea of swinging because at least you're still together, but you're not necessarily doing things alone with other people. And I'm like, I'm open to discussing that. I've never done it, but I'd like to discuss it. And he did not appreciate that at all because he's like that was just you're just trying to be controlling you don't trust me um that you have to be there to see me like that kind of thing and i'm like
1: i'm going to well, agree with my- i'm going to agree with you he's an excellent manipulator excellent like what so you, you, what good. you're saying you know you he taken these things you've kind of agreed to certain situate like some of these things as well yeah. you know in a way uh, you know, so, you know, saying that I'm open to this, and it still he was flipping it to even get more of what he wanted.
0: Yeah, and it was my fault, and I was and I was uh, closed off, and I was uh, prudish, and I was this, and I'm like, I'm open to swinging. How can you call me prudish? What are you talking about? But because he wasn't getting what he wanted, that meant I was wrong, of course, and um. I remember we went to um, this one sex club in town to just take a look around to see if it was something we were comfortable with. And we, we literally just walked around, and we were there from early in the evening till late. We never did anything there except for look at people. And he got so angry with me because men were coming up and talking to me. Um, and only one woman came up and talked to him, or I should say us, because we were there as a couple. And, um, one of the rules there is to ask, first of all, like, are you here with someone? Like, let's go talk to them. Like, it's a, it's a very strict rule that if you're there with your partner, you must, um, include them in the conversation, um, which is a great rule. Um, And he got really angry because I think the four guys came over and talked to me, and we weren't ready to do anything with anyone else yet. So I'm like, it's really nice to talk to you, but we're kind of just here at our first night here. And everybody was very respectful. They're like, that's awesome. Well, if you guys change your mind, if you get into it, you know, I'll be around, whatever. And he got so pissy with me because it was a four-to-one ratio. And it was always like this weird ratio thing with him. Like, you got four people to talk to, and I only had one. And I'm like, that's not my fucking problem. Like, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I don't. Like, what am I supposed to say? I can't do anything about that. Um, and so that idea was completely poo-pooed because I guess because he wasn't the hot shit of the night. Um, he didn't like the fact that number one, I was also very comfortable being there, and I think he wanted me to be like, I don't really want to do this, and it's kind of like he's pressuring me, so he has the power. And I was fine being there. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think that really pissed him off that he wasn't uh, upsetting me. Um, he had this weird thing. If he got traffic tickets or speeding tickets too, he always expected me to pay half of it, even if I wasn't the one driving or if it was his car parked. Um,
1: That's odd. And when
0: I, yeah, it's very weird. And when I, Which is another form of financial abuse to make me feel guilty for things that aren't my problem. But mm. um, he told me the story of like <laughs> – This one time he was on a road trip with some friends and he got a speeding ticket and he's like, and can you believe nobody would, would help me pay the ticket? And I'm like, well, you weren't, were they like egging you on a speed? He goes, no. And I'm like, well, no, it's not their responsibility. You were driving. And he looked at me like I was the most betraying person to not have backed him up on that. And, uh,
1: did he have a lot of friends?
0: He has a lot of acquaintances,
1: but not friends.
0: and no, I would say no.
1: yeah and I would say no. like did you ever try and figure out like his background or his past eventually to find out like what is this guy's deal for real?
0: He had a lot of big stories. Uh, He's definitely a victim narcissist mm-hmm. where he gets a lot of his attention from uh, poor me um, a lot of big stories. Uh he ran an art gallery at one point. He was a pro snowboarder. Um he has no proof of any of this. He's like, Oh yeah, I burned all that stuff. Like I just was like wanted to get get away from it, start over. And yet nowadays, um he lives in a very dirty, uh dank apartment with um someone else. It's a huge place, but it's very cheap rent, but it's really Gross and cramped because the two of them smoke heavily, um, and it's just packed full of crap. Because the other roommate, um, he's uh, a bit of an agoraphobe, and so he's just got all of his stuff just surrounding him. He sleeps on the couch all day long. It's it's uh, it's a very depressing apartment. Like there's almost no lighting in the house, and it's like, well, you know, if you're such a hot shit, then why are you sharing your house with a roommate that has no ambition? And he's like, well, it's cheap rent because he doesn't make a lot of money. That was also something about, I remember it was like on our first or second date. um, I mentioned, I don't talk finances, especially when I'm dating someone um, for the first little part. But I think he somehow kind of pieced together how much I make. And the look on his face, he was, it was like he was really trying to hide how excited and upset he was that I make like double of what he makes. Um he, he very clearly stated. He was like, Do you make more than I do? And I just kind of stopped talking because it would be very easy to find out how much I make. All he had to do was look in the union, um, um see what my hourly rate is. Um but yeah he was very excited about it because he knew he was going to be able to get some money out of me and also discussed it because quote unquote I had more power, which is baloney. Money means nothing. But anyway. Um So as you can see, just from the little tidbits that I've told you, that's the kind of manipulation we're talking about, where um, the triangulation was big with him. He loved being Mr. Sex. And then finding out that I wasn't as opposed to the things that he was asking for as he wanted. I just had my own boundaries to stick to. He didn't like that. He never stuck to boundaries. There was um, one girl... And her partner that he was talking to, and I said, one of my boundaries slash rules is no private conversations ever. Um, and apparently her partner was the same way. He's like, you guys can talk, but you have to loop us in. Like, if it's on Messenger or on text or whatever, we need to be looped in so we can see what's going on. And they they spoke privately all the time. And when I found that out, I it was the biggest fight we had, and it was about a month before we finally, when I finally broke up with them. Because... Um, it was a, it was a clear violation of boundary. And he's like, well, I don't like being, uh, I don't like being monitored, you know?
1: And what was the final straw? I enjoyed your imitation (laughs) right there, by the way.
0: (laughs) The final straw. So we were coming on, um, you're coming on a year and he's like, you know, I, I would really like to move in with you. Um, I, you know, I want to start fresh. I need to get away from the roommates and I'm like, okay, well let's talk about it. I wasn't really that comfortable with it. So I say, let's talk about it to kind of delay the inevitable, shall we say? And he started sending me, uh, links, you know, like this apartment for rent and that apartment for rent. Um, but it was always a two bedroom or three bedroom. And I'm like, what do you want to do with the second bedroom, make it an office or whatever? And he was like, no, it'll be my bedroom. Um, what? And he goes, yeah, look, I've been really thinking about this. And I think part of the reason that we've been having so many problems is because, um, we see too much of each other. Um, I'm the kind of guy that needs space and I'm like, I need my privacy too. I need to be alone. I go for walks and like, I need, I'm not really a high maintenance girl. Like I I like to do things alone all the time. He's like, yeah, no, but I mean, I I need to be alone. So I really kind of only want to see you too maybe three to four times a week, you know? And I'm like, and I'm not kidding. This is in the same text window screen where he sent me a link to an apartment and then maybe two texts down. He's telling me this. I, I only want to see you maybe three, four times a week. Um, you're sending me links for us to live together and you're telling me you want your own bedroom and you only want to see me three to four times a week. What the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, sorry, sad face, just being me. And I'm just going it was like all of the all of the bits of information that were floating above my head going, what is going on here? All just kind of landed in one page in front of me and the list came out going, Do you remember the exhaustion you were feeling? This is the same thing. Do you remember this lying feeling you were feeling? This is the same thing. This is this is this. this. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. I don't like what you're doing, this weird push-pull thing. Like, you're telling me you want to live with me, but then you're saying you don't want to see me? And he's like, hang on, let me come over and talk to you. So he comes over, and basically uh, he gets so angry because I'm like, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. Like, you're being nuts, and you're... You're saying such contradictory things to me in such a short frame of time. And he got so mad that he started destroying my stuff. He, you know, the floor lamps, the one that like go to your head, but they're made of cloth. He had two and he gave me one of them and he decided this is mine. I can do whatever I want with it. And he started tearing it apart with his hands. And this was around Christmas time, so he took his Christmas present and he kicked it so hard across the room that it hit a glass that smashed so hard because the impact was so hard from this kick of a present into the glass that it smashed and sailed about 20 feet away. And I know this because when I finally moved, when I moved out of that apartment a month later because he started acting creepy stalker, I found pieces of glass 30 feet away. Um. He uh. Yeah. So he started smashing my stuff. So I was like, "You got to get out of here." And then a couple days later, of course, because the adrenaline's going, and you start wondering, "Oh, it's so sad." You know, the addiction is still there. And he's like, "Yeah, no, I don't want to talk right now. My friend is over. I'll be. He'll be. He'll be gone by nine. If you want to talk, then I'm like, all right." Nine comes around, no answer. Ten comes around, no answer. I'm like, fine, fuck it. I will go to your place, and I will, I'll play this game of whiny baby, because he played silent treatment a lot, too. And I'm walking up to his apartment, and I can see from the street his, his bedroom. And so I'm walking up, calling him, and I see him enter the window, pick up his phone, answer, not answer, but, like, see that it's me calling, and he turns off the phone. And then he puts his phone down and he goes and starts talking to his friend again. And I was like, okay, that's the end of that. Mm -hmm. So I just turned around walked home and I wrote out a letter telling him what I had just seen him do. And he's like, yeah, you know, uh, I got drunk last night and I'm going to go out for breakfast today and I'll talk to you later. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to talk to you later. And I sent him the letter and he's like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? I'm like, I don't want to talk to you ever again. Like what you just did. Your childish behavior is, it, I can't, I can't handle this. And then um, he started withholding my property because, you know, he, you leave stuff at each other's places. And he's like, I won't give you this until you give me that back. And I'm like, I don't have that. The last place I saw that was there. And he's like, I don't have it. So you're not getting this back. And that kind of controlling, I'm like, you know what? I can let this go if it means I don't have to talk to you again. And he's like, well, that's you are this is you just being a bitch and you're controlling and, His master manipulation, funny enough, was the reason that I was so easily able to see it in the end. And I count that almost as a blessing because I knew exactly what to do to get better. And because I'd spent three and a half years of healing from the last guy, I'm like, I am now nearing 42. Um, I know for myself that I am someone that wants to be partnered. Um, I, I want to have a partner to walk through life with, you know. it, it just It's just something I, I want for myself. I'm like, I'm not losing another three years to depression or to self-doubt over this idiot. I'm not doing it. And along with uh, going back to therapy, regular talk therapy, I started looking into uh, other forms of healing. And I'm like, I don't even care what it is. I was very lucky that I have the financial means to do a few of these things, but a lot of it was actually free. Um, Excuse me. Um, I tried things like Reiki and seeing a medium you know, like tarot cards. And she, you know, she says she can see the spirits around me and stuff. And I went to, uh, abusive healing yoga and stuff, which is meant to just get you more in, in tune with your body to remember the feelings of serenity and all that kind of stuff. And, but the thing that I credit 100% with getting me back on my feet was such a shock. It was, uh, sleep hypnosis videos and um self-help healing books that are meant to be played while you sleep interesting yeah um i just decided i'm like i'm gonna you can find anything on youtube i'll bet you anything there's going to be something on youtube about this and there's so many so many varieties um so many styles uh and i found a gentleman i don't know if i'm allowed to promote uh, I have no affiliation to him at all. But, go, go for like, it. I, go for it. Is it okay? Okay. Yeah. There's a gentleman that uh, has a YouTube channel. His name is Michael Seeley, S-E-A-L-E-Y. Um, the reason I like him is because, number one, his sound quality is very good, which is very important to me. Um, his, he's got a very good tone of voice, and his his videos only last maybe about an hour, an hour and a half. Sometimes they're only even like 17 minutes. And it's in playlists. And so you find the playlist for the thing that you're looking for. Um, so I would write in words like, you know, sleep hypnosis, uh, codependency, abusive relationships, breakups, things like that. And there would be like 17 videos in there. So you just put it on play, go to sleep, and whatever's in there is being supplanted into your head. And I also bought a few audio books, um, that were for the purpose of sleep hypnosis for exactly the same thing, Um, uh, tactics against gaslighting, you know,
1: uh,
0: learning about the psychopath and stuff. It's just, I was doing a lot of other pieces of therapy, but I know for a fact that I was waking up like 5% better every morning. And at the end of a week, that's, you know, 25% feels pretty damn good.
1: Mm-hmm. Does, he do, does he do one on sleeping, like to get better sleep?
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'll, maybe, absolutely. I'll, maybe I'll try that
1: one tonight. I have got that problem.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's so many different styles. There's some that last a full eight hours and then have an alarm to wake you up. I don't personally care for that because if it's a weekend, I don't feel like being woken up to an alarm. Thank you. But um, Some of them are just tones that are meant to be soothing for your brain um, to reheal itself or to heal itself um, from the trauma that you've experienced um, to help, you know, just put those wires back together from the, the abusive notions that they planted in there. And you just remove them. Uh, I did a lot of, I think I did one uh, sleep hypnosis was about cord cutting because those narcissists that are psychic vampires, you know, where they suck your energy out of you. That's why you're exhausted And it's just this, an emotional cord cutting of just remove those things from you. And you have to watch it because it's creepy and I'm not necessarily a woo-woo person. But I can tell you that after I would do a cord cutting video, the next day he would try to contact me, like he would make a fake account or text me from an unknown number because he could feel it, that she's moving farther away from me. I don't know. All I know is that would happen every friggin' time. And when I was going to my therapist with all these new revelations of like, "Oh my God, I realized this," and I realized that, and I just I feel so light having realized that this wasn't about me enough, And she's just like, "What have you, are like, are you starting to do drugs or something? Because like you're leaps and bounds in your healing process than what you would typically expect. And I told her about the sleep hypnosis, and she's like, "That's an amazing idea. Because you're doing an active form of healing, but you're doing it when you're sleeping. And it's it's just, you know, it's like sleep learning. It's no different. Um, and she was she was just as impressed with it as I was. And I, I still use his stuff, but sometimes I use it for other things like um, self-confidence in the workplace or body confidence or whatever. You know, whatever happens to be bothering me at that time. Um, so many times. And I, I really credit that with a huge amount of healing. And I felt ready to date again after only like six months. Even though his trauma was much deeper in a shorter amount of time because his manipulation was so good. Um, And now I'm with a really wonderful guy, and um, I'm very open about uh, if I see anything that's of discomfort, I tell him and we talk about it. And sometimes he doesn't love it because he's like, I feel like you're putting some past stuff on me here, but I see where you're coming from. I don't love the fact that you're making me feel like a bad guy here, but I understand where you're seeing it that way. And then we can talk about it. Whereas with a narc, you know, you can't ever do that. You ever bring up anything negative and it just becomes a huge problem and you're the problem and all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, I, I fully credit the sleep hypnosis with, actually, that's a, that's not true. I,
1: you did a lot of work credit. while you were awake as well.
0: I very much a lot of work while I was awake. I did a lot of reading of uh, the website Knowing the Narcissist. I think it's nicknamed the Narcsite by H.G. Tudor. Oh, so um, some
1: people don't like that person because he yes. is a, uh, a, 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 what's the best way to put it? He is a sociopath who says yes. and states that he is one and gives yes. you uh, knowledge how to combat people like him. There's a lot of yes. people that he's controversial.
0: He is very controversial, and I 100% understand why he is dangerous um, to someone who is still vulnerable to the manipulation. Very dangerous. But I like very much, I actually, you know, I'm going to say I love very much getting into their head because it gives me a weapon to counteract because I can see it coming now. When I see the shit coming at me, I'm like, oh, oh, this is, now the next thing he's going to do is this. And there it is. And now I can see it.
1: Well, You, and I started you, you grew them. up in a narcissistic household. I, yes. Um, so did you learn, you didn't pick up anything uh, there growing up in, in the sense of uh, understanding what was going on? Or did, that didn't come until later?
0: Not until much later. Okay. Um, I've been going to therapy on and off since I was 14. Because when I was 14, I was starting to exhibit a lot of signs of, uh, like, dangerous signs of my life going to a bad place. Uh, My mother was a severe alcoholic, um, majorly depressive, and my father was a 100% enabler um, to the point where when he came home from work, he would just go downstairs with office uh, and do more work down there until dinner and then go back until it was time for bed. Like, he just ignored everything going on. Um, My mother had a lot of trauma when she was a kid, obviously, um, that she was self-medicating for Um, very complicated relationship with my mom but the thing that I learned a long time ago and I to to sum it up she died in 2012 which was one of the best days of my life because it's like oh thank God now I can just fix the trauma that she inflicted I no longer have to worry about the next that she's going to to put on me it was great it's like oh good so finally the cup is not going to be refilled anymore by her now I can just (laughs) work on what she's done instead of it having being piled on more, if you, if you get what I'm saying, so. Um, and because the relationship with her was so <sighs> typically abusive in the sense of she just, she didn't know how to deal with her own, her own shit, um, so she just self-medicated constantly. She was blackout drunk every day, um, generally naked, so there, there, there's a, like a sexual abuse element on that, Um, because I would walk into the living room and she'd be blacked out and naked. Like I saw my mother's vagina more than I've seen my own. And I know that's like said jokingly, but it's true. And there's a, there's a sexual element to that that is not appropriate, obviously. Um, she shamed me about my body heavily when I was a kid. Um, because we're not built the same because my father is Asian and she was a very tall white woman. And, uh, my body structure looks like hers, but I've got the height and stature of an Asian person. So I'm thicker, um, like an, uh, a, a, shall we say, a Caucasian person, because my frame was meant to be taller, but I'm not waist-like like an Asian person. I'm strong. Like, I'm a strong, athletic build, and that's I've always looked like that. And she, her and nice my sister used to tease me all the time because her side of the family is all very large breasted and they're like, Oh, I guess we never have to, you know, buy you any more training laws. Thanks for saving us money. That kind of thing, you know? And, but the, the thing with my mom and I have tried very hard to come up with the easiest way of explaining it is she hated herself more than she could ever have loved us. And there's a forgiveness in there in understanding who she is was but I don't forgive what she did I forgive who she is because once you become a parent go fuck yourself fix your shit and raise your children stop being self-centered and I'm very very strong about this and I and I apologize to any of your listeners if they take offense to that but sorry deal with your shit and raise the adult that you've given birth to I don't care because you've made the choice to have your children. Sorry, one second. Yeah. Um so anyway, yeah, it's uh I've got a very strong opinion about that kind of stuff of never allowing anybody to tell me like, "Oh, I did the best I could." Well, you know, you need to do better. You need to do better.
1: Did so, did you yes. um it was the line, she hated herself more than she loved us. Did you make that line up, or did you take that from somewhere?
0: No, I made it up. Yeah, that's a great um, line. I Thank you. <laughs> I'm very proud of myself for having come up with it. The funny thing is, is it came from, because my brother-in-law's mother passed away, um, oh my gosh, was it before or after my mom? I don't remember. I think it was before and we all knew that my mom had always said I don't want to have a funeral because she feels the same way that I do where I don't believe anybody's going to come and I don't want my last humiliation in this world to be nobody loved me you know it's it's a deeply ingrained self talk that it just it just is and i was sitting there at the funeral imagining if it was my mom's funeral and everybody around us knows the turmoil that was going on. A lot of people don't believe it because of course the, the face that she presented to the world was different than what was actually happening. But I was very vocal about it. And it's like a funeral is not an appropriate place to air your grievances, but I'm also someone that believes in honesty. And I was thinking, I was having this imaginary Situation where I was, you know, forced to go to the podium because that's what people tend to do. And they're like, no, you make a man, she's dead now. You can't talk bad about her. And what would I say? How do I get my point across that she sucked, but also being respectful of the fact that there's people here who don't want to hear that right now and also being honest? And that's what I came up with because it very clearly states how i feel it also shows that i do have empathy for the things that my mother went through because she went through a terrible childhood as well um yeah just it's the easiest way to put it and i find that people who've never gone through any sort of trauma especially with their family don't get it they don't get it and it's unfortunate because um They just look at me that I'm just an ungrateful person and I'm like a, uh, you know, like I'm an ungrateful daughter. And it's like you have no idea what it's like to be raised by someone who doesn't give a shit about anyone but themselves and doesn't have the fortitude to um, deal with their stuff even if it hurts their children because they just don't want to admit that they're at fault. And I know this for a fact because she has said that to me many times.
1: So, so in, in therapy now that you've gone through both of these relationships, are you dealing with stuff from your childhood now to repair that?
0: Yes, actually we do a lot of work on things like what are my triggers and why? And they all come back to my mom. (laughs) Of course they do. Um, It's things like, uh, the betrayal of trusting is huge because it's, you know, when you're a kid, no matter what your relationship is, it's still, I want my mommy to love me. And you just keep going back to your, I want my mommy to love me. I want my mommy to love me, that kind of thing. And so she would do that classic cycle of, you know, be nice to you and then pull it back and make you feel really stupid for having trusted her again. And she made sure she did whatever she could to make sure that I uh, would trust her and then take it away. And that's where my, um, huge trigger for that is, is how dare you. And yeah. So, and that, that's, that's a big one that I deal with right now is if I feel any slight of, of being made foolish for having trusted you, I still react hard. I may not show it, but I feel it. And that's enough because if I'm feeling it, that means that I still need to work on it. Um, and my reaction to it now is to get very quiet because I'm in my head trying to deal with it. And the, the problem with that is, is that, get, that makes everybody else uncomfortable around you, and that's not fair to them because they don't know what's going on in my head. And it makes it look like I'm giving them the silent treatment, which is not what I'm doing. But that doesn't matter because my behavior is affecting them. So I have to work on having a better reaction to that kind of thing. Even if I think it's not bothering them, it is, it is how I react to it. does, does matter. So.
1: And before we end this episode, I just want to get off of the narcissist thing for one second. And so I apologize for everyone because before we ended, I actually wanted to ask you something before we even started this conversation and I might as well do it on the show. (laughs) And it's more of a personal thing. Uh, sure. you know, I, I, for everyone out there, I, we met on Reddit and what I noticed on Reddit is you are a prolific Redditor. Am you, I? You have 180,000 karma points, I think. Not 180,000, oh, 18,000 18, karma points.
0: Oh, I have no, I have no, I swear to God, I have no idea.
1: So you're a prolific. I do, I you're did. a prolific redditor. So are you out there helping people on on Reddit uh, during all that time? Are you answering questions? Or are you just thoroughly involved in the community?
0: Uh, it vacillated when I was in the middle of the of the upset of breaking up with them and leaving and looking for support. It was very much like I need help. I need help. I need help. And but now it's a lot of me reading a lot of posts and. Um, abusive relationship, emotional abuse and life after narcissism, and trying to do my best to help.
1: Well, Julie. Anyway, I want to thank you for being on the show. This is, this has been a great yeah. this, has been, this has been a great episode. You know, we. Oh, that's so you, nice do, to hear. Do, do you know why? Well, first of all, why? you've lived like three lives. You know, with all of these <laughs> things going on, people learned a lot. I think through this episode, with uh, how you've dealt with things and, and things that came out of your mouth. Some things were a couple of profound lines in there. And it was just a fun episode.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. And you're, and you're, you're know, tra-
1: your tragedy has made a fun episode.
0: <laughs> That's the best I can do. Like, what else? <laughs> you laugh, laugh at the nonsense of life. And, you know, I've, I've stepped away from it enough now that I can see the humor. And it, it just it is what it is. Not a, not everybody's lucky enough to be born to a privileged and happy life. And I'm one of those people. I, I didn't have... You know, I didn't have loving parents, but what are you going to do? It's It just is what it is. So I have to deal with the cards that I was dealt. So,
1: Well, thank you once again. And uh, for everyone out there listening, uh, have a good night. And that was my conversation with Julie. And Julie, to me, is a strong person. She's a positive person, a resilient person. She really found her way in her own special way, and I just think she's, in my opinion, she's a solid role model for all of us. So I just want to thank Julie once again for being part of the show and being part of the community. Besides that, before I leave, uh, I just wanted to tell everyone that we created a Facebook group, which is different from our current Facebook page. Uh, This way, it's more interactive for everyone to be involved, and anyone can start a conversation, not just me. And that's at facebook.com slash group slash the Narcissist Apocalypse. I think that's what it is off the top of my head. Uh, You'll find it there or just type in the Narcissist Apocalypse and you'll find our group. Don't go to our page. I want everyone to go to the group now. It's just better for everyone. Also, we're on Reddit. So if you wanted to discuss today's episode, go to reddit.com and look up the subreddit Narcissist Apocalypse with a capital N on the Narcissist and a capital A on the Apocalypse. And once again, if you want to be on the show, you can always reach out at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. Just drop us a line. And if you want to read a letter to your narcissist, we have a voicemail recorder on our website. So to record, just go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. It's on the right side of the page, and it's always floating, and it's hard to miss. We're accumulating these letters for our next episode of our letters to a narcissist. This would be volume two. And now, that's it. The nap is over and until the next episode, take care of yourselves.